Geek Top 5 Quarantine Edition. Yay! It was time now. There was was all the time I needed. Geek Top 5. I'm Jesse. I'm Graham. And we are back with another round of dueling lists and so valuable these days, some good news. uh, It's usually pretty hard to tell when we're in during pandemic life, but I can tell you that we are on or shortly after August 6th, because just a couple days ago, Star Trek Lower Decks premiered on CBS All Access and up here in Canada on CTV and on Crave, for you people looking to stream it. Uh, The Star Trek animated comedy show feature... I guess. Yeah, the the second animated Star Trek series ever. And uh, I gotta tell you, I went in with uh, moderate interest, but I, I was pleasantly surprised. I really enjoyed the first episode. Yeah, I, I enjoyed it. I definitely want to see more. Um, I It didn't blow me away or anything. I didn't I didn't uh, have a ton of chuckles either, but I enjoyed it. I, I I only watched the first season of Orville, but I think I would put this slightly above that so far. I mean, it's tough to tell with 22 minutes, but, uh, yeah. but yeah, I laughed out loud a couple of times. Um, I'm, I want to spend more time with those characters, so that's good news. So, step one, remember when Geek Top 5 used to do news? Here's some news. <laughs> Go check out Lower Decks. It's pretty cool. But it got us thinking, and we decided that, uh, hey, we're doing another round of dueling lists. These are our top five sort of crewman-focused episodes. Lower deck episodes, if you will. Exactly. The episodes of Star Trek that don't revolve around the ensemble or on the captain or first officer. Um, so we had a little bit of back and forth in deciding how we were going to do this. Uh, yeah, at this did, point, we've done so many Star Trek episodes that we're having to put some pretty tight restrictions on how we're coming up with these lists now. Well, it's like, what do you define as lower deck, right? Yeah. It's a tough call. Uh, I think we, we landed on a good uh, solution, though. Yeah, what we decided, we said that, so we're looking for episodes that specifically focus on one character um, with the highest rank we're going to consider being a standard lieutenant. No lieutenant commanders, no commanders, no captains, no, no, any of that jazz. Yeah, and I think, you know, at first glance, I thought, wow, we're really cutting a lot of the meat off of this. We're going to have very few episodes to choose from. But the more I looked, the more I realized there are more lieutenants and lower on the shows than I had originally assumed. And uh, there's a lot of good episodes there. And and there are other characters who you think are probably higher ranked, and they did end up becoming higher ranked, but there are earlier seasons where they have ranks that fit this criteria. So so we got some cool names on here. (laughs) And you're able to sneak in a few before they really make good. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, let's stop beating around the replicated bush. Uh, Graham, what is your number five like lower deck focused episode? Okay. So I, I feel like before I jump into the list, I have to give a, a caveat. I, I feel a little guilty that I didn't do put more research into Voyager, Enterprise, especially Voyager. There's some really good characters there that are lieutenant or under. But then I took a look at my list and I could not imagine finding an episode of either of the shows that would beat the stuff that did make my list so I don't feel as bad so with that caveat out of the way I'm gonna go with uh, for my number five Blood Oath uh, Deep Space Nine's episode 19 from season two refresh my memory is this Koloth? this is the whole gang this is uh, oh the albino okay please so the the core i believe is on deep space 9 he's a drunk mess he's in the the brig and he finds out that that dax is on the station he's come i think to meet dax uh but he was looking for curzon dax and is a little um disappointed at first when he finds out that it's not curzon dax it's jadzia dax but jadzia assures him that she's still got all of curzon's memories and and she remembers the blood oath that she took with Kang, Kor, and Koloth, the classic original series Klingons, and they're all going to go together and kill this albino who uh, killed Kang, Kor, and Koloth's firstborn sons. And it's a great episode because it gives us an early look, a fairly early look, into the Jadzia that we'd come to know and love. In the early days of the show, she's kind of stiff and supposed to be very wise and, and 
solemn, I think. Like, she's supposed to be this wise beyond her years character. But as the actress got more comfortable with the role, more of her own personality came out, I think, and they developed the character more. So she was fun, and, and she didn't take things quite so seriously. And she also had this really interesting past and these these connections to Klingons and powerful feelings about what loyalty and the right thing to do in situations. And I think that mirrors the actual, like, that mirrors, like, how the character evolved on the show, but also as how, like, the character would naturally progress, like, in canon. I think that works really well. And this episode is a great pick for that. Like, when we meet Jedzia Dax, she's, it's relatively recent that they have this symbiosis, right? The Dax symbiote is fairly new to her. So she's a young woman, but she has this creature living in her that has seven years of memory. And a lot of people she's interacting with remember Curzon. Is it more than seven? Seven lifetimes of memory, I think. At least seven lifetimes. I think you said seven years. Oh, I'm sorry. Yes, no, seven lifetimes. Seven, <laughs> yes. That's, that was the mistake. Um, anyway, what I'm circling around. So she's a young woman who's still getting used to the fact of having seven lifetimes of memories. But more importantly, she keeps running into these characters who remember the previous host, who remember Curzon Dax. Like in this case, these Klingons who remember Curzon as being this badass honorary Klingon. And having her... Like, in this episode where she's not really being herself, she's still kind of, like, being him, but dealing with that while being herself, I think is a really natural way, like, to show, like, how she's sort of dealing with putting all that together. Also, I mean, Klingon episode, right? It's hard not to love. (laughs) Well, yeah. I I don't think I'm as big a Klingon fan as you are, but this is also bringing back some classic characters, and their performances are really good, and and that helps, too. I I think it could have been just three random Klingons, but having these classic Trek actors show up adds a lot of heft to the episode. I think it's a nice touch. Another thing, like, when Worf shows up on Deep Space Nine, uh, I think, like, two seasons after this, it's it would have been totally within their their rights to have to retcon uh, a love of Klingons into Jadzia. But having this episode there establish that connection was there from the beginning. It helps make that feel more of a natural connection. Doesn't make it feel as forced as it could have in other circumstances. I think that's a a good touch, a good bit to have there. So everything feels more cohesive and less forced just by writers. So a good episode and a good you know, chunk of that character are getting developed. That's yeah, yeah, okay. High praise for that one. Now, the this was kind of a last minute change for me because the episode I had originally been thinking for Jedzia is the is rejoined where she meets uh, the wife of a previous host of hers, and uh, they start to fall in love again. And it's a really beautiful episode and really gives you. A good look into that character, and and it's a strong performance all around. But she'd been promoted to lieutenant commander a few episodes before, so it got <laughs> cut. Uh, you're right. Then she doesn't count as lower decks anymore. <laughs> <laughs> nope, still a good choice. I can still respect that. And as one of the, I mean, she definitely doesn't stay lower decks for long. But it's she's definitely one of the star characters. I think of all of Star Trek. Jadzia is great. Yeah, yeah, and I I just love how that came about naturally. Like, it, it took some time for her to get to that point, but by the time she's off the show, she's easily one of the best Trek characters. So what's uh, what's your number five? All right, so my number five, um, I'm going to st- sort of make up and then immediately take away again from what you were describing before. Uh, my number five is a Star Trek Voyager episode. It's the episode Pathfinder. Um, Season 6, Episode 10, premiered in December of 1999. Um, Like all good Voyager episodes, this one does not have a lot to do with Voyager, though. Um, So don't get excited. But this is a Reginald Barkley episode. Ah, what rank is he at that point? Barkley stays a lieutenant junior grade. Pretty much throughout. Barkley... (laughs) Barkley is the whipping boy of Star Trek The Next Generation. He has a few next-gen episodes, and he's the guy who sucks, basically. And the episodes that revolve around him sort of revolve around how much he sucks. He, so this is from, this is from the Star Trek Encyclopedia. Uh, apparently, 
This is, according to the creator, Barkley is a satirical depiction of Trekkies and their excessive obsession with imaginary characters. <laughs> wow. Like, yeah, like there's nothing good about Barkley. When we meet Barkley in, on Next Generation, like he's nervous and awkward and just and just a failure. And like Riker and Geordi want him off the ship and Picard has to talk them into trying to get him to develop. And they do. And his character develops. And then he has the whole holodeck addiction thing. And what they end up doing with his character is like he's the he's the eccentric, like he's an engineering genius. He's one of the most valuable members of Geordi's team, but he's such a yutz. <laughs> and that kind of sucks. They bring him back in Voyager, and in Pathfinder, I feel like this is where, where Barkley finally gets his comeuppance. The the plot of this episode, most of it is boring, but the plot of this episode is Barkley. <laughs> Wait on really it. Really selling it. <laughs> the plot of this episode is Barkley is trying to, is he's at Starfleet Command and he's trying to make contact with Voyager, who's lost in the Delta Quadrant. And he has this crazy plan to do it and no one believes in him because he's a lunatic. Um, and so the, like the framing device of this episode is he's in like a, a, an ad hoc counseling session with Deanna Troy. They pull Marina Sirtis away from whatever it was she was doing to guest star in this episode. But at the end of the episode... He, it, it's a technical. They, they they create a micro wormhole that they can beam subspace communications to. But at the end of this episode, with Admiral Paris, the Tom Paris's father in attendance, just when they think that Barkley is finally screwed up and he's going to go to jail because he broke into the lab to do this, he makes contact with Voyager. And listen, we we crap on Voyager a lot, but it is such a powerful moment where they finally get to like they finally talk to home. And the acting across the board is real is is just very impressive. Like Kate Mulgrew's Jane as Janeway is wonderful in this scene, and it's such a powerful moment. But the which which is good. It's a really good moment. But I really like that they finally they took Barkley and they like they made him not a joke, right? They justified his existence. He finally pulled something off. Like they instead of just having him be this goofy guy, they said he's goofy, but yeah, his stuff it actually works. And it's fun because there's a little denouement at the end of the episode where they're all like, wow, this Reginald Barkley guy, he must kick ass. He must be freaking <laughs> awesome. And we in the audience know that you know, that is not the case at all. I think just, I, I think a lot of people, Barkley, was a, when he was introduced, everyone on Next Generation was kind of perfect or, or at least... There oh, weren't there, a lot no, of quirks Perfect in is fine, yeah. The yeah. Next Generation doesn't have strong characters. That's fair. And and Barkley shows up and he is a mess. And I think, especially in retrospect, he is potentially the most interesting recurring character on the the series, just as far as pure character is. And but and it's, it's it go way too far in the other direction, though. Like they're all too perfect, and he's too much of a mess. Both of them, but like both ex, both are extremes. Yeah, you know, yeah. neither have any meat to it. But it's interesting that of all the characters they could pull, and, and they did pull a few others, but all the characters to pull from Next Generation and insert in some way into Voyager, Barkley is a good fit, and, and he his quirks, I think, work better in Voyager than maybe they did on, on Next Gen. I, I, they do, but I suspect that has to do with that they're treating the character better. I think the writers on that episode... I think the writers who wrote him into Next Gen just said, yeah, no, he's a, he's a goofy dork, and left it. I think the writers here treated him with a lot of respect. And I, it really, besides the fact that that is an incredibly powerful moment, it's also really great to see Barkley get his due. You know, finally acknowledged that, that he's he is really good at this stuff, and he finally accomplishes this cool thing. And it's a really great moment, and it's the kind of thing you could never do with an, you know, let's go with an upper decks character, you know, somebody who's yeah. already proved himself and been through Starfleet Academy and like had their shirt torn off fighting a Gorn. Like, <sighs> it's the kind of thing that could only happen in this lower decks. And so, again, it's not. I mean, it's not the greatest episode. It's a very predictable plot, and it's it's you know, it's getting to the end of Voyager where they're really desperate to find interesting things to do, which is why it's down at my number five. But that's just, it's worth it that for that one moment and for and for Barkley finally getting to prove them all wrong. That now makes I, my list. I'm, I'm proud of him vicariously. <laughs> I, so I don't know this episode as well as, as you do, but 
if uh, memory serves, there's there's holodeck scenes where um, Barkley has recreated what he thinks is going on on Voyager, and that includes his versions of the Maquis crew integrating with the Voyager crew, and that so so in those scenes, Torres and and uh, Chakotay are still dressed like Maquis characters. Yeah, and the, the the vibe on the ship is different. They're tossing a baseball to each other in the middle of engineering. Yeah, he's created this weird hollow fantasy for himself. Do you think if Voyager had actually been more like that, it would have been a more interesting show overall? Absolutely. <laughs> Yeah, the, the, the concept of having these Federation rebels having to work together with Starfleet and then immediately erasing all those plot complications like four or five episodes into the show, yeah, huge mistake. <laughs> there was so much more Voyager could have done with that. That's a different podcast, though. <laughs> yeah, we may have even covered that before. Probably. Anyway, what's your number four? Okay, so my number four is from season five of Next Generation, episode 16, and it's called Ethics. It is a Worf episode, but I have a feeling you're going to have Worf episodes, uh, episode or episodes that are more traditional than this. Uh, this doesn't feature much in the way of like Klingon history or Klingon politics or, or really any of the stuff that you normally associate with a Klingon episode. At the beginning, Worf has a barrel fall on him, and it breaks his back, and he's paralyzed. And the whole episode is, it's a, the A-plot is him dealing with the fact that he's this Klingon warrior whose entire life is revolved around being able to kick ass, and now he's bedridden. He can't even sit up without help. He is, he, and, and coming to terms with that loss is really a great, it's just an interesting thing that you don't normally see in sci-fi. It's a very character focused episode dealing with a a real problem not it's not really a sci-fi problem the b plot is the doctor and the special guest star trying to figure out how to fix Worf, and then there's all sorts of medical ethics around that decision meanwhile Worf is trying to convince commander Riker to kill him and then he's trying to he decides not to to commit suicide so that he can be there for alexander it's there's a lot of psychology there a lot of character depth and Worf did not get many opportunities for character depth on next generation by the time he gets to deep space nine there's a lot of great episodes with him uh, developing as a character and you get to learn more about him on next generation he was basically just there to demonstrate how powerful enemies were like because <laughs> yeah. he would always get beat up and he was the big strong guy but this episode really gives you a look into what his life is like and what this decision would be for him this this hard decision that that happens in real life to people all the time and and it's really interesting to see that played on screen in a sci-fi show unfortunately in the end they sort of deus ex machina sci-fi extra klingon body stuff they 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 get out of it it never gets mentioned again he's totally fine at the end of the episode but it's still an interesting process watching him deal with this revelation this this ch major change in his life yeah a lot of the characters spend a lot of time trying to talk him talk him out of the warrior mindset like the doing the whole like what like what he would do today do the whole like well you're you're more valuable than your legs like there's still a lot more you can do even if you can't walk but it adds the sci-fi conceit of like well you're supposed to respect other people's cultures and in his culture <laughs> well, I would like to think that's not just a sci-fi conceit well, okay, yeah. It, it, given the ideally you would do that here too, but also we don't have a lot of cultures that would you know, you wouldn't accept it if somebody said, well, no, I, I can't walk, so my culture says I have to die now. You wouldn't go for that, right? Uh, I don't know. Yeah, let me it put would, you on the spot yeah, with yeah. this incredibly <laughs> complicated ethical question in front of our audience. <laughs> but yeah, they managed to do that sort of safely through the sci-fi conceit of having the Klingon culture. Yeah. Than a real one is what I'm trying to get to. I mean, that's that's the best part about sci-fi when you can look at a real-world thing that might be too dicey to talk about in in real-world context, and you put a sci-fi twist on it, and the audience can objectively understand what you're trying to say. But because it's in the sci-fi coding and it's not, you know, a human culture, it's this other alien culture. You can see it more at face value instead of all the politics of real life getting in the way. 
which is, I mean, a really cool way to examine it. And it's interesting because this episode still comes up now and then um, because politics around this sort of question weren't the same back in the 90s as they are today. You know, essentially what Worf is saying is he's he's requesting assisted suicide. Yeah, uh, which I mean was pretty strictly a no-no back then, but nowadays a lot of people like it's it's legal in some places now. I think and so, Patrick Stewart is even a, an advocate for it, a, a pretty vocal advocate for it. Yeah. So when Riker tells him like hell no, I'm not helping you commit suicide, it's like is he making the right call? I mean, and maybe the answer is yes because it's a sci-fi world and they just grow him a new spine. Right. Uh, but it still it it, raises, it it makes you think and it makes you, it's like that's what Star Trek is at its best I think when it's it gives you a question that isn't that easy to answer yeah and there's and it's there's, complicated and it's weird watching it through the lens of today's politics you also get uh, Riker coming to Picard and being like isn't this crazy that he wants me to do this and Picard's like well it's is it that crazy and it's it's just an interesting discussion to have like like it's not just dismissed out of hand as like oh Worf's crazy to want to do this the the moral arbiter of the show the guy who is always right captain picard is the one saying maybe there's something to this maybe we should respect his decision and so it doesn't just get a black and white treatment and and there there isn't an easy answer other than you know grow spine and everything's hunky-dory but yeah <laughs> that comes later uh yeah there's also all the father son stuff uh, most episodes with alexander are to put it gently irritating <laughs> but having this episode the relationship between Worf and Alexander is touching in a way that it isn't normally their their relationship gets explored in a way that it doesn't normally get to because Worf tends to just be annoyed by Alexander it seems mostly yeah the, the default writing for that relationship is like Alexander's just a human kid and Worf wants him to be a Klingon warrior but he doesn't want to be because he's an independent spirit and that's usually it um, whereas in this episode, it, it, they do a lot more father-son stuff. Yeah. Yeah. And and Worf doesn't get a lot of episodes like this. Uh, uh, the only other Worf episode I, I considered for this list was uh, Parallels, where he starts shifting through alternate dimensions. And yeah. it's, I like that episode, but it just doesn't it doesn't tell you much about Worf. It's not yeah, it's, really... It's not the same range of emotions. Yeah, it's a cool yeah. sci-fi thing. Yeah. All right, what's your number four? My number four is Hard Time. Uh, Deep Space Nine, season four, episode 19, uh, premiered in April 96. The, uh, the concept of this one is O'Brien, uh, Miles O'Brien, engineer, is on assignment somewhere, and he's wrongly convicted of a crime. And what they do on this planet is they basically simulate the prison sentence in your head and run it through. So in like the process of like a couple of days, he spends 20 years in prison. And then, you know, they realize like he's he's served his sentence and goes back to Deep Space Nine and they realize it was a mistake. But he still now spent 20 years in prison from his point of view, and he has to adjust to his old life. And this like my, putting this on the list, this is entirely a call me anything. I mean, he's he's one of the best actors on the show. And his portrayal of dealing with the PTSD of the prison time is really harrowing. Yeah. We see early on through flashbacks, we see early on that he had a cellmate. But when he's talking to people about the experience, he mentions he was completely alone the entire time. And we're like, what the hell's up with that? And then he's just getting, like, he gets wigged out and he's irritable and... And it just gets worse and worse until he almost strikes his daughter. It almost hits Molly. She's like, what, she's eight or nine? Maybe younger no, at this point. I think she's like four. Jeez, yeah. And then he and he can't take it, and he goes and he hold, basically holds a gun to his head, and he's about to kill himself because he just he can't handle it. Um, he has his, like, confession of the soul thing with Bashir, and he confesses that in the, like, in the, the mind prison thing, it got to a point where his, he, he caught his cellmate harboring food and not telling him, and in, like, you know, well, they were both starving, and so he kills the cellmate to get at the food, only to discover that there were two piles, and the cellmate had been saving it for both of them all the time. And he's racked by guilt, and he's telling Bashir, like, I'm a monster. Like, I killed this guy, my friend, for no reason. 
And Bashir is saying, well, no, you hate yourself, so you're not a monster. Like, it's, it's just this terrible thing happened to you, and now we're going to work through it and get together. And then they don't go back into it much in later episodes. No. Again, yeah. like Worf, they sort of grow back his spine. But everything well, that happens to him until it gets there is really powerful. At least with Worf, they grow back his spine, and that's the end of it. There's a conclusion. This one ends with them being like, we'll get you a counselor, and, and you'll work through this, which is a much more realistic ending to it, except they never address it again, which is really unusual for Deep Space Nine, although I guess it was still kind of early days. They hadn't quite gotten into the serialization yet, or, or am I wrong there? No, it was it's season four. It's The Dominion okay. War has started. It's like They're very serialized. They just decided not to... Not to have it be something that progresses with the character. They didn't want it to change long term. Right. Which uh, I get and, and is ultimately fine. But in the context of Deep Space Nine where there are usually consequences to actions. Things play out over multiple episodes. People come back to decisions later on. It's sort of a big one for them not to touch on again. Yeah. Um, it's such a severe thing to do. And O'Brien has some crazy stuff happen to him. Like, like yeah. the, the guy goes through a lot. But this was a big one. I think I think the writers called it like the the torture O'Brien episode or, or something like that. There's always every season. There's at least one O'Brien gets <laughs> tortured in some way episode, and I think that carried through into other series. Like there seems to always be a Harry Kim gets tortured episode or horrible things happen to him. Yeah, but O'Brien does it so well. I mean, yeah. The actor does it so well. And like all the little like Okeko wakes up and he's sleeping on the floor instead of on the bed and. And, and and having like trying to remember what the names of all the different engineering tools are, right? Like, like it's just it's it's such a cool performance and it's such a crazy idea and it's it's a cool sci-fi conceit too because to these other people he hasn't been away right like his yeah. his life is exactly the way it was but he's different and trying to reconcile those two things is so hard on him. And they, like, it could have been done really poorly, but it was done incredibly well. And that's always... My, my, I've seen that episode so many times that my heart is always in my throat when he pushes the phaser to his chin. <laughs> well, that's. I think it's part of the reason it didn't quite make my list, because it's a, such a hard watch. And, and I suppose that shouldn't factor into it, but it's like... It's too much. I, I Too much torture. I, I keep thinking about the real-life consequences to it. It's like, it would almost have been better for him to actually spend 20 years in jail because it's like extra torture for him to come back and everything be normal and, and right? no one knows how to process him and he doesn't know how to process everything. Ah, so hard to watch. But so such good television. <laughs> anyway, moving on, moving on. What's your number three? Well, my number three is also an O'Brien episode, but I'm going back to uh, TNG for this one. And there's there's not many O'Brien episodes of TNG. Uh, he, he, like Worf, didn't really get a chance to shine for the most part until Deep Space Nine. But uh, I'm going with The Wounded, season four, episode 12. Mm. The premise of this one is uh, O'Brien's old captain, Benjamin Maxwell, is in command of another ship, and it, it's a little irritating that this is the first episode with the Cardassians and they're introduced being like, well, we just signed this peace treaty with you and oh, this long war we've had with you is over. And it's like, who are these guys? This is the first time you've mentioned them. There was a war since when? But that aside, his Maxwell has gone silent and he's going around destroying these these Cardassian bases and he's it's threatening to start the war up again and, and Picard and the Enterprise have to go out and figure out what's going on and why he's doing this and bring him home one way or another. And because he's O'Brien's old captain, O'Brien gets brought in to try and figure out what's going on and be yeah, sort of the expert on the situation. Yeah, be the subject matter expert. Like, what happened to this guy and what would he be doing and what is he thinking? Yeah. So eventually they, they do find him and Maxwell comes on board and says that the the uh, Cardassians are rearming their stuff and they're not they're not as peaceful as they seem and he's the only one who knows and, and he's going to prove it to the Federation that this is going on and everyone thinks he's crazy and they're, they're dismissing him. They're like, okay, this isn't going to happen. This isn't how we're, we do this stuff. We don't just blow up bases without proof. So you can either go on the brig or you can go back to your ship and um, we'll 
we'll go back to Federation space together. And he's like, okay, okay, let's do that. And he gets back on his ship and then buggers off and they have to chase him down again. And O'Brien ends up sneaking on board his ship and they have this great private moment together in his quarters or in his ready room and they reminisce about the war and the things they did and and he slowly convinces the captain that he has to turn himself in for the good of the the rest of the crew if for no other reason and he promises Picard will figure out what's going on if anything is going on but that you know he's got to turn himself in and again it's just a great performance from Colmini and the the guest star who plays Benjamin Maxwell they have this great rapport with each other and it's the first time you learn really anything about Chief O'Brien other than you know the episode before he gets married that's it like you get these two episodes back to back that that give you some depth to O'Brien whereas before he had nothing but what depth they gave him, this this whole background of being a war hero and, and fighting the Cardassians for so long. And he, he's got this real tension around the Cardassians that are on the ship. And he says to one of them uh, that he doesn't hate them. He hates what he became because of them. And it's such a great line and, and gives the characters so much depth. Ah, what a great episode. It's yeah. one that I don't think gets talked about enough. There's so many great moments in it. I, I'll admit, I, it didn't make my list, but only because I felt it wasn't that O'Brien-focused. Like, that moment, for sure, where he's on the, in the ready room with a Rutledge, and he's talking to Maxwell, and they sing the Minuteman song, and, like, that's super powerful. I would argue there's a lot of other senior officer stuff involved in this episode. That's Technicality, true. I know. <laughs> but there's but the gr- stuff with with him in the, the turbo lift with the Cardassians where they invite him for a drink, and he's like... He's very rude to them, and then he does end up going for a drink with one yeah, of them and, and having and that And he moment. confesses in the bar, and he, yeah. that's what he does, his what-you-made-me you know what you made me speech. You know, I it's think true. it counts. You're right. It's, yeah, no, it, it qualifies. It qualifies. It's fair. And and just to, to give our, our rank uh, issues with, with him, he's, he's not even... Uh, he's, he's not an officer. He's not an officer. He's an enlisted man. He's a chief petty officer, and... I don't know enough about actual military stuff to really know what that means, but I do know that that means he's he's as lower decks as it gets. Yeah. And we see that a couple of times, and that may come up later on our list. <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, no, that's a powerful one. And it's, I mean, that's a great moment when he talks down Maxwell, but it also ends on a great moment. Unfortunately, not on O'Brien, it's on Picard. I but love this moment. Yeah, where Picard, it's like, yeah, well, you know, we took care of it. You're right. Maxwell was crazy and all this stuff. But he was right, wasn't he? And the Cardassian as well. I don't know what you and Picard's like, fuck you. We know what's going on, <laughs> you piece of crap. We're going to be watching you very carefully. We're not stupid. And he spins around in the chair, like just has the back of the chair to the Cardassian until the Cardassian leaves. Yeah. It's, it's such a powerful moment. And it's, again, it's not, lo- it's not the lower decks part. So it's not the part <laughs> that we're highlighting for this particular podcast. But it's also a great moment in an episode full of great moments. Such a good speech. Huh. Mm. Okay, what's your number three? My number three um, may show up on your list. We haven't been doing a lot of dueling so far, but my number three is Lower Decks. Uh, from it Next will Gen- show up later. <laughs> okay. Star Trek Next Generation, uh, Season 7, Episode 15. Uh, it's higher up on Graham's list, it sounds like. Yep. Uh, so we'll put a pin in that one for now. Okay, my number two uh, may end up on yours, or it may be the sequel to one of yours. Uh, mine is It's Only a Paper Moon, of Season 7, Episode 10 of Deep Space Nine. Oh, no, no, I don't have that one. Okay, so in a previous episode, there's a very gritty war episode where the Deep Space Nine crew have to help these, this, like, real worn-down group of Starfleet soldiers defend this this last stand, the, the AR what is it, 15? 558, I think. Something like that. And uh, Nog, the first Ferengian Starfleet, a longtime member of the, the cast of the show, he gets wounded. He he get, takes a, some a Jem'Hadar shot to the leg, and it has to be amputated. You know, this is one of those situations in Star Trek where they can't just wave a magic wand and fix it. He loses the leg, and they give him a brand new one that is basically the exact same leg, but he is having trouble dealing with it, and he's walking with a cane, even though all the doctors say he shouldn't need to. He's he's just having a lot of trouble processing the loss of this limb and, and the psychological damage he's suffered because of it, 
And so he goes to the holodeck and meets Vic Fontaine, who has been in a few episodes at this point, but I think this one really helps solidify him as an important character on the show because he's a hologram that knows he's a hologram, and he's also this 60s nightclub entertainer in the model of Frank Sinatra, and he helps Nog process this grief, and they just stay in the holodeck all this time together, and, and it's such a distraction for Nog. He loses complete track of the real world. He just wants to be in 60s Vegas and help uh, Vic run the casino and everything. And slowly but surely, they have these tender moments where where Vic is like, listen, I appreciate you letting me live uh, this life, leave the holodeck on so long for me, but you need to get back to your real life because this isn't real for you. And he helps him process the the loss. And it's it's a really great Nog episode. It's This is one of the advantages that Deep Space Nine has over other Star Treks, where it's so serialized. Nog's arc is huge. In the first episode, Nog is a a child and a thief. Yeah. And that's it, really, for the, like for a while. And now he's come. We've seen him like start to better himself and take on some responsibility, and then join the academy. And he's has struggles as a cadet, and then he like he's like he's too much of a cadet, and they have to sort of teach him to relax a little. And now he's like, like it's all the stuff that he's been building for the seven years. And then when he loses that leg, oh god, it's such a moment. And unlike with Worf or O'Brien, where this terrible thing happens and it goes away, there are consequences. Mm-hmm. And, God, that adds so much weight to it. And, yeah, you just, you spend this whole episode, I mean, in a sense, it's kind of a fun episode, because it's, hey, it's 60s Vegas, you know, everybody's calling each other Cat and Daddy-O. <laughs> That's all fun and stuff, but you just, you feel so bad for what he's going through, and it it takes until Vic really, really calls him out on it, and it's like, you, people have to stop babying him. Yeah, but that's like, how do you deal with that? Like, like, how, like it's so hard when somebody you care about goes through stuff like that. I mean, all you want to do is try to make it easier for them, right? And that's, and then when like, the tough love of saying no, it's time for you to move on. It's time for you to deal with this. Let's go. That is an incredibly difficult thing to do in real life. Um. I I almost feel like I wish it was a different character rather than Vic Fontaine who did that with Nog. I I hear you, but what a, a profound way to show him disconnecting from reality than to have him just dive into the holodeck. Yeah, it's another great sci-fi conceit. It's a cool yeah. thing that a future setting can let you do. But I kind of wish that like like Jake or even Cisco or or somebody had gone in. Like it just it felt like Vic was sort of an underdeveloped character at this point, and he was. He was a fairly recent addition to the cast, um, and this was a great opportunity for him to develop. And it's and he's great at it. Uh, James Darren is the actor. Is that yeah, right? yeah. He's and he's great at it, and it works. I I just felt like it would have been more powerful to have it drawn on on these like you know years of relationships that had been built. Yeah, and, and I that's and fair. I wonder what that episode would have been like. Yeah, I think there's a, a powerful moment at the end of the episode, too, where he, he leaves the holodeck and he goes downstairs and he, there's his father and his uncle and his stepmother. And uh, they ask if he's OK. And he says, no, but I will be. And it's it's such a it's a great note to end on because it's like so many shows as discussed with Warp Spine. It's it's like there's a magic sci fi fix to it. And, and really, they don't come back to this much later on, although Nog becomes a much more grounded character after this, but it's a great moment to be like, no, just doing this, just having this moment with Vic or this time with Vic, that alone isn't enough to fix me. I'm going to need more help, but I'm taking the steps. I'm on I'm on the right path to getting back to, to normal or to dealing with this trauma. Yeah, it's a, no, that's a, it's a good way to sum it up. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> 
and 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 it, they do refer back to it occasionally later on like this like this is the episode where he deals with it and then later episodes he is okay but it does come up in conversation points here and there and he, and it does help him grow as a character and it's and it's a very powerful episode and focusing on not the captain that's yeah i think that one fits our criteria perfectly yeah good choice <laughs> <laughs> okay what do you got for number 2 number 2 the even for Star Trek, the pretentiously named Inter Arma Einem Sealant Legis, which is Latin how, for... How much time did you have to practice that? I, I listened to them say it in the show, because <laughs> if, if you have a title that's stupid, the characters are going to say it in the episode. Uh, but yeah, but yeah so I, I learned it from Alexander Siddig. <laughs> Uh, it's Latin for "In times of war, the law falls silent." This is DS9, uh, season seven, episode sixteen, March of ninety-nine. Um, this is the the first follow-up to the introduction of Section Thirty-One. Um, there is a mysterious organization, essentially the Federation equivalent of like the the CIA, the KGB, and the Federation don't officially have it. Like they're it's left ambiguous as to the are these like completely independent or are they like tied to Starfleet somehow? We're not sure what's going on. It's a Bashir episode. Bashir is going to Romulus. A very rare event for Federation folks. There's a conference going on. Um, and Section 31, they start off by saying they just want him to take the pulse of the Romulan leadership. No pun intended, Doctor. Ah, ah, ah. <laughs> And from then, it's it turns into a really cool spy movie for forty four minutes. So, I mean, listen, it's not going to have the same emotional impact as like the you know the, the incredible growth that like Nog and O'Brien and Worf went through that we've discussed. But it turns into this like everybody's lying and everybody's covering for someone else and who's working for who. And it's, I mean, for starters, it's cool because love them or hate them, Section 31 adds a lot of depth to the Federation. It says, yeah, you know what? The Gene Roddenberry idea of utopia, like, you know, utopia is a joke, right? The, the word is a pun in Greek. Like, you can't, there is no utopia. Nothing is perfect. And so getting to see sort of the, the darker underside of some things that have to happen for the Federation as we know it to work really does add a lot of character to the show, even if it hasn't always been handled well. Bashir is great at, you know, he's still a noble good guy, but he's got a taste for all this spy stuff, so he fits into it really well. It's mostly fun. Like, it's like a fun spy movie. It has James Bond twists and turns up until the end, where up until the end, it's... Man, okay, so uh, there's no way to explain this without going through everything. So real quick, it turns out the real reason Bashir is there, so Sloan, played by William Sadler, the Section 31 guy, tells him that this Romulan Koval, the head of the Tal Shiar, the Romulan Secret Service, has an illness. And he wants Bashir, with his super doctor stuff and genetic enhancements, to try and do like an equipment-free diagnosis and confirm if the head of the Romulan Secret Service has this illness, and maybe there's a way to accelerate that illness, and this is going to this is really cool because it's you know it's killing the head of you know, a traditional enemy's Secret Service, but it also makes room for another Romulan senator who's Federation friendly to move up in the government. But of course, Bashir, you know, he's not going to murder someone. That's not what he's about. So he approaches the other Romulan and confesses, like, this is what I think is going on. And will you, like, overcome years of mistrust to work with me and solve this? And Koval catches them and catches Sloane. He says, well, we've interrogated Sloane. Actually, there is no Section 31. Sloane is just a crazy Starfleet intelligence guy who's out for revenge. And, there, and, you know, Sloane, like, dramatically grabs a weapon and is vaporized before he can be interrogated, and Bashir is exiled back to DS9. And it ends with where he's, like, he's lying in bed looking at the ceiling. He doesn't look happy, and he gets up and he walks to Admiral Ross's office, who we've seen as Captain Sisko's, like, best buddy. Like, he's the Admiral, he's in charge of everything. But he's still, you know, he's a good guy. And Bashir walks into his office and... His performance, Alexander Siddig's performance here is great. Admiral, where's Sloane? <laughs> and just, oh, yo, I read your report. Sloane's dead. Like, no. Where's Sloane? Turns out, good guy Admiral's been working with him all along. 
The entire plot of this whole thing, Koval, head of the Romulan Secret Service, is actually a mole. He's working for us. We arranged this so that Federation-friendly Romulan senator wouldn't move up, because she's only Federation-friendly because she's a Romulan patriot. If it makes sense for the Romulans to turn against the Federation, she would do that too. Koval, on the other hand, is under our control, and now you're an accessory to that, Doctor, and... They, and they have that argument. They have the, like, well, this is wrong. Like, the, you know, the ends don't justify the means. And the Admiral goes back with the, you know, I'm sending young men and women to die every day. We have to bring this war to an end as soon as possible. So they do the, the traditional spy movie, but the hero doesn't really win in the end? Yeah, it's... And, it's interesting. Yeah, I've been that, talking for a while. Please, <laughs> me get a drink of water. It's, it's interesting that... that it's so against... There's a couple episodes like this in, in Deep Space Nine where the way the episode ends, the like, the the way the, the Federation as a whole benefits is goes against Star Trek principles. Like, what happens in this episode and what happens in the, uh, the episode with Garrick and... Uh, and oh, in the Pale Cisco, Moonlight. In the Pale Moonlight, yeah. yeah where they're trying to bring the the Romulans into the war in the first place. Uh it's 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 a tough watch and tough to think about. Like I can definitely see people who were big fans of the original series and fans of Next Generation watching episodes like this and being like, this isn't Star Trek anymore. This isn't for me. And and I don't feel that way, but they are episodes that definitely are on the border and maybe even beyond the border. And I do think like first contact with the Borg Queen, while these episodes were cool, they they set a precedent that later shows have gone too far with. Like yeah, I, they, ab- they abuse that privilege of, like, sort of like more of a normal show. Yeah, I think, I think Discovery has gone way too far with the Section 31 stuff, and it's it's made the show more generic and, and, and boring, kind of. Like, I, the, one of the things I really like about Star Trek is its optimistic take on the future. And I don't mind a bit of darkness bleeding in on the edge of this optimism, but I don't want Section 31 to be embraced. I don't want them to be an integral part of, of Starfleet. Like, yeah, I think this, it's... Disco went too far, for sure. Yeah. But I think this episode is a great example of how to do that right. Like, Section 31, like, they, they, even with the Admiral defending them, they don't come off as the good guys. Like, they just did a terrible thing. And, it, and the consequences could have been even more worse. And we are with Bashir 100%, where he wants to stop this from happening. And he's going to stay on the case to stop this kind of thing from happening ever again. And he hates that he's been used. Uh, that's the way to do it. And that's the way I would like to see it if they do it in the future. But, specifically on this episode... So Bashir, it's tricky. It's tricky doing this Lower Deck stuff because a lot of the characters on Deep Space Nine are phenomenal because of how much depth they have to them. But I think this this is an episode where Bashir, like, his cockiness and his arrogance are completely used against him and he doesn't come out ahead. Yeah. And I think that's an important thing to have happen to the character in addition to it being a really fun spy adventure. Like, the the development of having him not win because he's such a genius, in fact, having that be the reason he lost, makes a big difference to who he is. And I do think that it's it's such a rare thing to have happen after the revelation about his genetic engineering from, from, I think that's in, what, season six or something? After that, he becomes a less interesting character because he's so smart and so talented, and so to have him be tricked in this episode have him not come out ahead is a really nice note especially going into the end of the series Mm -hmm. also fun that like they they didn't really go and make admiral ross a villain but having him not sort of be on the side of of optimism right not having him be on the side of the federation making that much more complicated ross really is an an exposition machine you know he's there to explain to cisco and then the audience what's going on but they go into it enough to show that they're really close buddies. Like I like they never go into it and I wish they did. I wonder if Bashir ever told Cisco that Ross was working with Sloane. Like that would have been a huge development. That could have been an episode all on its own and how the two of them reconcile that. Yeah, I, I mean there are 
later episodes, well, there's that one other episode of Section 31 stuff in it, right? And and so they must have talked to Cisco about it at some point, right? Like it had to have happened off screen. Presumably, but but maybe Bashir wouldn't have told him, right? Maybe he kept yeah. it close to his heart. Because the like the the following episode, yeah, the one where they seemingly defeat Sloane, like that's almost entirely an O'Brien Bashir thing. Like they don't, uh, it doesn't really get to the you know, the other characters, right? The upper decks. There you go. <laughs> anyway, we should move on. Um, are we at your number one? Yeah. And so your number one was Lower Decks. That's that's appropriate. Yeah, you know, I don't know that there'd be many lists that Lower Decks would end up number one on for, for best, you know, episode. But in this context, I think it works. It's it's uh, season seven, I mean, episode 15. Yeah, let's be clear. Like, this is clearly the inspiration for the show, Lower Decks. This is definitely where the name comes from. Yeah, it, it flips everything you know about Next Generation on its head, kind of, or everything you expect from a Next Generation episode. The senior officers, the main cast, are basically background characters for this episode. It focuses on three ensigns and a nurse. Ensign Sam Lavelle, Cito Jaxa, Torek, and Nurse Ogawa. Now, Nurse Ogawa has been a regular background character for a few seasons at this point, and this is her first chance to to shine in any way, to have a storyline that even remotely focuses on her. But the other, well, and then there's Torek and Sam Laval that were created for this episode, and then Cito Jaxa, who's a returning character from a Wesley episode called First Duty, which... Yeah, the Nova Squadron episode, right? Yeah, that might have uh, made my list, because I do really like that episode too, but they're cadets, so it doesn't count. Uh, but yeah, so Cito Jaxa, she, she's sort of got this a bit of a tarnished record from from her time in Starfleet Academy and the accident that Wesley was involved in but Picard's giving her a chance and there's this very intricate plot happening in the for the senior staff but you don't really see it you get hints of it through what the other characters are dealing with in connection with it but it's it could have made a great episode just from the perspective of Picard like if Picard was the lead character on this episode I think it still would have been really good but it would have been an episode we'd kind of seen before. Seeing it from these other characters' perspectives gives it this whole new feeling. Like, you get to see what it's like to be these lower deck crew members who look up to the senior staff, who we're all familiar with and and know and love, but we don't have the same reverence for them that these guys do. I mean, I'm sure we would if we were on the ship, but <laughs> it's neat. But yeah, like these these characters are unfinished. These aren't the heroes of the flagship. They're just they're young and trying to figure their stuff out. And and it's so brilliantly plotted. So you just get pieces of the puzzle of of what is kind of a straightforward plot, but the way they've built it so that it's a big secret and and each one of them gets a little bit of the secret, and then finally at the end you go to to Cito's perspective, and she goes on this mission, this dangerous mission, and you get to you get the full story at that point. But just getting bits and pieces of it is really well done, and and it's it's I don't know that I would rank it in my top ten next generation episodes if I were to make that list, but whenever it's on, I'm gonna stop and sit down and watch it because it's it's so well done. Yeah, I think you're doing it a disservice. I mean, and that seems silly because I had it down at number three. <laughs> You've got it up at number one, but like, there's so much going on. Like, there's also the, like the C plot in this almost is that there's a slot open for promotion, and early on we find out that Sam and Cito are both up for it, and they both they're both full of doubts. They're both young. They both think the other one is more for it. It's like they don't know like who's going to be better, and that's and that's all circling around this huge complicated you know, like Star Trek episode. And I mean, I don't know if you wanted to save it for later, but like the, at the end, go for we, it. We, yeah. We can talk about the end. Yeah. So Cito doesn't come back from this dangerous mission. She doesn't make it. And the last scene of this is, so Sam gets the position, but he's gutted, right? Like he's like, like, do I know if I even deserved this for starters? Like maybe I only got it because there's no competition now, but even then, how can I take it when my friend died? Yeah. Like, and they, like, we've only known these characters for 44 minutes, but their friendship has been so believable and is so well spread out. Like, like when, like, Picard gives the, you know, all hands, I have bad news speech, and they jump from room to room to show everyone's reactions. And, like, we in the audience feel terrible. 
uh, just we feel bad for them. We feel bad for her. Like they've they've done such a great job of establishing these new characters. Yeah, it's it's really well done, and and they are very fully formed. Like you you really get a handle on them, and and it's so impressive to do that in forty minutes. And you know, there's some other Star Trek series where there are entire characters that I don't think are as fleshed out as some of these guys are in this one episode. It's yeah, no, I it's I mean. I ranked it a little bit lower. I think the same thing you're saying is because it's kind of a one-off. Like, it's not, it doesn't contribute to much. It's sort of a, not a black sheep, but like it's a sort of a wild card in the deck. But it's a solid episode of television. They, they tell a really cool story. And seeing the senior officers from that perspective, it, it's never revisited again from the show, but it gives you a better appreciation for sort of life on that ship as the audience. It contributes to the immersion, I guess. Yeah, yeah, definitely. It it makes uh, it, you get a sense that not everyone is as calm and cool as the senior staff. You know, there are nervous, normal people on the ship, too. Yeah, normal people. That's the key, like real people. And I think, I, I mean, I've read, like, so Michael, Michael Mann or Mick Mann, I forget which, is the creator of Lower Decks, the show, um, and also another show, I forget, Solar Something. And like he said that, like, yeah, Lower Decks was inspired by this, like the idea of not everybody is Captain Kirk, not everybody is the bridge officer, right? Some people are just people living in this world. And yeah, Lower Decks, the cartoon, is a comedic look at that. Those, you know, those characters would not make it to the Enterprise. Um, but it's a really neat thing to look at. It's a part of this world that light doesn't get shined on very often. And this did it in a really cool way. Oh, I want to go rewatch that episode now. <laughs> Definitely. Okay, so what's your number one? My number one... Um, so I guess you'll have to tell me what you think comparing this to your number one, but my number one is another O'Brien episode. Uh, mine is number one is Empok Nor, uh, DS9 Season 5, Episode 24. Uh, that's, uh, that's May 97. So this is another O'Brien episode for sure. And it actually, it's in a way, it's kind of a sequel to the stuff that happens on on Next Generation. Like, we go into more of his soldier story. But the, the premise of this episode is that O'Brien and Nog and Garrick and a bunch of red shirts, essentially, so more Lower Deck characters, yeah. briefly, um, they're going to, they need to salvage equipment for Deep Space Nine, and they go to this abandoned Cardassian space station to find it, uh, only to find out that it's been, the station's been booby-trapped with these, like, Cardassian, like, Super, not super soldiers, but they've been exposed to this like psychotic drug that makes them like insane killers to basically guard the station and stop people from doing what they're going to do. And in the course of this, Garrick, who's also a Cardassian, gets infected with the drug. And by the time they've dealt with the soldiers, it's made him crazy. And he and, and O'Brien and Garrick have to face off. And what's been happening, like... Not just in this episode, but certainly in the lead into this episode. Like, Garrick is really curious about O'Brien's soldier past, and O'Brien doesn't want to have anything to do with it. You know, one of the first things he says in this episode is he's not a soldier anymore, he's an engineer. But Garrick is, you know, he's, he's a spy, he's got a bit of a, you know, murdery. He's not a great, not a great character in his past. Is so curious about that. So when he goes crazy... He's constantly haranguing O'Brien about, like, yeah, okay, you're an engineer. Sure, I know what you did on set, you know, on set like three. You were a war hero. You took out an entire regiment. And just the pushing of O'Brien. And there's a moment in the episode where O'Brien's like, okay, screw it. I'm going to be a soldier again. And just, like, what that does to his character is so cool. Um I do feel a little bad. Like, I call these guys red shirts, and I'm not even naming them because they, none of them make it through the episode. <laughs> and it's kind of a disservice. Like, they could have gotten a little bit more of the attention, like the Ensigns and Lower Decks did. Um, but they're really there just to sort of serve as vehicles to tell an O'Brien and Garrick story. But it, it's also a good Nog episode. Yeah, I mean, Nog... See, I thought that too, but on a rewatch, I mean, we see Nog in the in the beginning where he impresses O'Brien because, like, he's been studying his at Starfleet Academy and he's getting better at an engineer. And then pretty much all he does in the episode is get captured by Garrick later. He doesn't right. really do much. I guess it's because there's a, a later episode where Nog and Garrick are together again and Nog refuses to let 
Garrick be behind him. He always has to be in front of him because he doesn't trust him anymore. He's like afraid of him. And it, yeah. it's a, another one of those moments where it's like things have consequences on Deep Space Nine in a way that they don't on other series. For sure. Um, the reason this gets to my number one, well, two reasons. The major reason is because this is like a climax of all the stuff we've been talking about O'Brien building. And I'm glad you mentioned that episode where he's on the Rutledge with Captain Maxwell, because that's the perfect background information for this. <laughs> but since Next Generation, years ago at this point, we've been hearing about... You know, he used to be a soldier, he used to be a tactical guy, and he's put it all behind him, and now all of that, like, build-up pays off, right? We get to see the character he's become as a result of that, and at the end of the climax, it's coming to my second reason now, which is this great exchange between the two. Where you think, like, that's it, now we're going to get to see Soldier O'Brien, finally, after all this time, he's finally snapped, right? And they sh- he shows up, like, they're going to have a showdown, there's going to be no weapons, and so, you know, O'Brien, like, drops his phaser, and it's, oh, you have another one? Oh, you sly goose. And O'Brien, <laughs> like, he drops his phaser and his tricorder, and it's sort of weird, like, he opens up the tricorder and puts the phaser down on it, but whatever, like, he's, he's setting up for the, you know, the hand-to-hand fight, and they have the hand-to-hand fight, and Garrick is winning, and he knocks O'Brien to the ground. And the, 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 the dialogue is, Garrick's telling him, maybe it's true, maybe you're not a soldier anymore. And O'Brien says, you're right, I'm an engineer. And he taps his comm badge, and the, fa- and the phaser of the tricorder light up and explode. He's built this bomb as an engineer, and it knocks out Garrick. And it's such a cool moment, because if they had just had O'Brien beat him in a fist fight, it would have taken... It would have taken a lot of character development and thrown it away, right? Yeah. Everything we know about O'Brien, and it, or is he's putting this behind him, and the engineering to him, it isn't just a Scotty thing, like he's really proud of being an engineer. He sort of believes in it, like a philosophy. He believes in building and stuff. And the fact that he uses that engineer's smarts to resolve this situation, rather than just fighting and killing, is such a great capstone on that, and even Garrick makes a is the perfect choice of the antagonist for it because Garrick is the opposite. Garrick has had this, you know, he's an assassin, he's a murderer, he's had all that stuff, and he's never really put it behind him. No, he's really glib about it, but he's never gotten over it. He's never been able to grow and become a better person. And even that comes up in this episode, at the front of the episode when they're talking, and Gar- like, O'Brien says something like, I'm glad to have you on board, and Garrick looks really confused, and he says, like, it seems like all of a sudden people are starting to trust me. It's very disconcerting. <laughs> and like, he's being glib about it because that's his character, but that there is an element of truth to that. He feels like he doesn't deserve that because he knows he's still a bad guy. He is such a great mirror for O'Brien's past, and it's built up to so much that having it climax in this episode, it's almost wasted on that it's just another episode. It's not part of a larger A-plot. It's kind of separate, but it does so much for both of those characters and who are two of my favorite characters. I I had to put it at number one. (laughs) Wow, I mean, you've done a good job selling it for sure. I also like the touch that that when O'Brien set the trap, he didn't know that Garrick would survive. It's it was like it's a desperate move, and I think he's I don't know that he's relieved that he didn't kill Garrick, but he's he's he accepts it. Yeah. that's what happened. He, that's what that's the last line of the show. It's it, it could have been worse. If I've been any closer to that phaser, it would have killed me. And O'Brien says, "Well, don't take this the wrong way, but that was the plan," <laughs> which is is. Crazy, and it's the kind of show where the character could have been killed that way. That could have been it for Garrick, and I mean, I'm glad they didn't, because Garrick is is one of the best characters in all of Star Trek. We could say that about a lot of Deep Space Nine characters, but yeah, he's <laughs> great, and and he has so much more to do after that episode. But he, he it's a, a powerful one, and it would have been a hell of a way for him to go, like like in this powerful episode that reveals so much about who he is and who he was and also reveals so much of O'Brien but I think if O'Brien had killed Garrick it would have changed him too yeah, he would have regretted it and it, yeah. it would that would have been Soldier O'Brien again, right, it would have been a step backwards for his development, 
Like, he was willing to do it. That was the plan. But the fact that he didn't, it's almost like that's his karmic reward for still being an engineer and not a soldier. You know, from a like a storytelling yeah. point of view. Man, it makes me just want to go and watch all the O'Brien-centric episodes and just watch the character grow through them. Such a yeah. great arc for for all of these guys. So good. Yeah, I mean, and and that's another DS9 thing. I mean, it's unfair to characters like Barkley and to the lower deck sentences, but the, the DS9 characters have such great opportunities to grow over those seven years of that show. It's uh, yeah, it's a, there's a, there's a reason why most of my list is DS9 episodes <laughs> for sure. Okay, well, I mean, I think that uh, that does it for that list. It's a very good uh, list from from both of us. I want to go back and rewatch all those episodes. Only one duel, but, uh, I mean, that's a good thing in this case. It just shows there's a lot of great Star Trek to watch. Uh, that being said, I mean, maybe there's some episodes that we forgot to consider. Uh, something that might have beaten one of these out. Uh, maybe another character who didn't get a lot of limelight. Maybe you're just real fond of Harry Kim, and you just were just tickled pink by the time he got pregnant. I don't know. It's possible. A lot of people like Voyager. Uh, if you want, let us know. We'd love to hear your opinions on the matter. All kinds of ways that you can get a hold of us. Remember, they have to be lieutenant or lower in rank. So Important note. Yeah. So you can email us at geektop5 at gmail.com. We're on Facebook, facebook.com slash geektop5, and we're on Twitter at geektop5. Looking forward to hearing all your thoughts. Always appreciate you guys uh, for tuning in, giving us the opportunity to talk to you, and we love hearing from you. Thank you so much for listening. And in addition, miss not to mention extra special thanks to Jamie Reum, R-E-A-U-M-E, our musician-in-chief, the guy behind our theme song. Check him out, uh, Jamie Reum Official on YouTube, Jamie underscore Reum on Instagram, and check out his project, TriviaSchmivia.com. Pub Nights online very cool uh, something to keep you busy um, until we get a chance to talk to you again uh, so until then i'm jesse i'm graham and this has been geek top five and we're looking forward to talking to you again next week